0: So last week, um, we studied the spirit of adoption and thus the doctrine of adoption in an effort to appreciate what it is that God is after in, in his people is real relationship. We are not saved, this is so important that we get a handle on this, we are not saved out of bondage to sin and slavery to iniquity into bondage and slavery to the law that's not what the gospel does it's not transferring us out of the darkness of uh, a life consumed with fleshly pleasures into the darkness of a life consumed with fleshly denial it's not what the gospel does what it does is saves us out of bondage into relationship with our creator. So this week, what we're going to do is go off on a couple of tangents with Paul. And then next week, we'll put the finishing touches, hopefully, on that whole subject of adoption. Um, Galatians 4, beginning at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So Paul... Describes a former life in chapter one. And I preached a sermon on our former life and the privilege that we have as believers of having a then, a back then, and a, and, and here's now because of the work of the gospel in our hearts. Uh, before you were in relationship with your creator, you were enslaved formerly. That was your condition. So Paul describes being out of relationship with God in vivid contrast. Think about it like this. You are either in relationship with God or you are in bondage. You're either in relationship with God or you are in bondage. Now, whether you are in bondage to gross license and the kinds of sins that dehumanize or you're in bondage to gross legalism and the kind of sins that seek to elevate you and put God in your debt is really irrelevant. The point is, you will either be in relationship or you will be in bondage. So the way he puts it is, you're in bondage to weak and worthless principles because simply stating the fact that you're either in relationship or in bondage is insufficient exegesis of what it is that Paul's trying to get at. The contrast can be helped and understood better by answering a couple of questions. Is it God's interest to be in heartfelt relationship with you? Or is it in God's interests that you be in conformity to the behavior that he prescribes? What is it that God wants from you? if you are a Christian, outward conformity or heartfelt relationship? One is bondage, one is relationship. Second, would you rather be enslaved by weak rules or in relationship with the one who made the stars? Weak and elementary principles. You can be in bondage to that, or you can be in relationship with the one who made the stars. And then to illustrate it, Paul uses the observation of special days. And at first, this is meaningless to us. It's like something we don't need to worry about. You observe days and seasons, right? But I can help us appreciate this by just saying, have you ever met one of those Christians who refuses to celebrate Christmas? Or refuses to allow their children to dress up in costumes on Halloween. Or they can't read Harry Potter because the devil's in that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to... I mean, I kind of am. Let me, be, <laughs> let me be honest. I don't mean to have disdain for those people. What I'm trying to do is kind of flesh out Paul's illustration. When he says, you observe days... Months, seasons, and years. What he's referencing is all of the Old Testament, Testament ceremonial observations of certain feasts and certain celebrations and certain uh, periods of fasting, and then certain periods of separation and uncleanliness. He's saying, "Why are you going back to that?" And I'm just saying, as Christians. Do we not have the freedom because we're in relationship with our creator if we would like to observe a special holiday like a birthday or Christmas even though Jesus definitely was not born on December 25th or Halloween, even though a lot of Christians make the case that it, you know, it's a pagan holiday and you're worshiping the devil. Dude, when your kid is dressed up as a T-Rex, it's not because you're worshiping the devil, right? It's, we're just trying to have fun. Do we have the freedom to engage in those things or are you in bondage to weak and elementary principles of the world? If you're not okay with your kid dressing up for Halloween, are you okay with my kid dressing up for Halloween? Or must I be also in bondage? There's nothing wrong with observing special days. There is something wrong with becoming legalistic about the observation of special days. In fact, I thought about... a few months ago as we were heading into Easter, I thought about, I wonder if we should maybe at some point as a congregation just do a Passover meal so we can see what exactly it was that they went through. It might be interesting to, to taste the food that they would have eaten and have that experience. And, but then there was a party of them that was like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't be observing days. And I was like, well, that's just legalism the other direction. We have the freedom to do it, And we have the freedom not to do it. So the question is, we might be too sly to be taken in by overt legalism, but are there things that you are taken in by? And I'll just, look, I'm going for the low-hanging fruit in my own heart, not yours. So if this resonates or you feel like I've steamed open your mail, that's not the case. This is just what goes through my mind, right? Am I enslaved to my diet. Now, everybody's like, oh, come on, that's stupid. Of course you're not. Well, once you start abstaining from certain things and you realize the numerous health benefits of abstaining from certain things, it can quickly become elevated to a religious principle that you don't eat certain things. Amen. I've seen that happen. Yeah, I have too. What about your exercise regimen? And the, the, look, the answer to the question of, am I enslaved, may on the surface be, no, of course not. But what happens to you emotionally when these things are disrupted? Or you don't get exactly the right number of hours of sleep in a given night. What happens to you emotionally? And I'm not talking about the effect of sleeplessness or the physical effects of a poor diet or the physical effects of skipping an exercise time. I'm talking about your heart. What goes on in your heart? Does it induce panic to not observe your ritual? You might be enslaved. So you've got to ask yourself the question, are you free? And if I need to, I can (coughs) apply it back the other direction. Can you say no to a cupcake? Can you say yes to a walk? Can you say yes to going to bed at a reasonable time? Or are you enslaved? Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, don't panic, Carrie. All right, just making sure. We're going to be out of here soon. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? All of that, my, I mean, the commentators, I picture them flinging hay in the air as they work their way through these verses. And he's really, I think at the end of the day, he's saying one thing. You all used to feel a certain way about me, and now your heart toward me has changed, and I haven't changed. So what happened? You used to have this deep affection for me, and now you don't anymore. So let's just be disinterested in what Paul's bodily ailment was and focus on this principle instead because these things are tangential to the main point about adoption and relationship with God, but they address our tendency and what some of the like the characteristics of us when we get out of relationship with God are. So think about this. When your appreciation, I'm gonna start over because I need everybody to pay attention. When your appreciation for another human being diminishes, and the only thing that's happened is you had a discussion with someone else about that person, you are in danger. Let me say it again. When your appreciation or your estimation of another human being diminishes, goes down, you think less of them, and the only thing that's happened is you had a conversation with someone else about that person, You are in danger. The Galatians cared deeply for Paul when he first arrived. Their affection for him was only increased by his ministry to them. Before he was able to do anything for the Galatians, the Galatians were tending some kind of a physical need that Paul had, or at least bearing with him in the midst of some grotesque ailment or sickness he apparently recovers and then engages in this ministry to them whereby he establishes these churches and his ministry is so effective that people's lives are inarguably changed, right? Does that make sense? Then he leaves. After a while, these fellows from Jerusalem show up and start whispering. Can you think of anyone who you distrust dislike, or have dismissed. And the only reason that you distrust, dislike, or have dismissed them is because someone else whispered about them to you. Your own experience with that person gives you no reason to feel negatively, yet you do. Look at Romans 16. Romans 16, really easy passage to remember because if you can count 16, 17, 18, and just remember Romans, this is a great memory verse. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. What do you make of that? Go back to Galatians 4. Look at verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. Smooth and flattering speech, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of smooth and flattering speech? Someone is trying to enslave you. Mark my words, if someone's trying to enslave you, this is how they do it. Hard to believe compliments, of you vague cryptic criticisms of someone else it's two sides of the same coin you're so wonderful or you're such a blessing these are fine things to hear from a friend but when they're woven into a criticism of someone else you are in danger what does this person want you to do ladies you're so beautiful you deserve better than him Do you realize you're in danger? You're so handsome. You deserve better than her. I mean, it sounds slimy coming from me (laughs) standing up here, but it doesn't sound that slimy in the dark corner of a restaurant. You're such a sweet, caring, trusting person. I just feel like I should warn you. I don't know why, but I don't trust them. What what, what is that person trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? You're so talented at, you know, fill in the blank and you do such a good job, but so-and-so gets all the credit. What's someone who's saying that to you, trying to get you to do? If gossip is saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face, then flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. It's interesting that these two things tend to occur at the same time, generally speaking. Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse or deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. When someone is weaving criticism together and flattery, While they're talking to you about you and usually someone else, what they're weaving together is a rope with which they want to bind you. They want to enslave you. Watch out. Watch out for the slavers. They want to shut you out. They don't want the gospel. Listen to me. They don't want the gospel, but they don't want you to have it either. There's like, a, there's like a psychological lesson here. We'll keep going. What does this look like in the church? Because probably at church, you're not going to hear somebody seducing you away from your spouse, right? Not in this one. Uh, not today, anyway. So in church what Paul's talking about looks like relationships that are destroyed and you can't quite put your finger on why. So you see the carnage, you see the destruction, and you're not sure what exactly happened. Um, It looks like this. At church, there are certain people you're not supposed to talk to, not supposed to spend time with, and you don't know exactly what their sin is. It looks like this. You've been told what their sin is, but the biblical principles of dealing with their sin have not actually been exercised. So in the Galatian context, it was a matter of circumcision, um, the observance of holidays and the ceremonial law. Listen, stay with me. If people weren't keeping those legalistic observations, they were shunned. You're not circumcised. You're not keeping the feast days. You're not keeping the ceremonial law. You can't be part of the inner circle here. Shunning is not the first step of dealing with someone who is in sin. The first step of dealing with someone who is in sin is always confrontation. Right? Mm-hmm. The second step is conf- conference. Of confrontation so you go once you confront the person hey you're sinning you're not circumcised that's sinful they refuse to get circumcised you go get a witness hey brother Hezekiah Ahmad's not circumcised Ahmad still won't get circumcised so you take it to the elders of the church and here in this church here's what would happen excuse me You want him to what? Get circumcised? No, 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 you're the one who's wrong. And now correction occurs. But instead, we can just bypass all that. And because brother so-and-so won't get circumcised, we just won't associate with him. Now replace circumcision with the kinds of things that actually happens in church in America. If the teacher or the preacher or the pastor or the leader in the church actually wants to help people be obedient to the law of the gospel, Jesus prescribed the means by which we do so. I want to help you be obedient to the gospel. Jesus told me how to do that. Tell you the truth. Pray that you'll listen. If you don't, bring somebody else to tell you the truth with me. If you still won't, take it to the elders of the church. Let them tell you what the truth is. If you still won't repent, then, and maybe, maybe, not absolutely, but maybe then, there's some shunning involved. We jump right to the shunning. In our context, it could be any number of unbiblical things. Perhaps they uh, the, the person insulted the pastor's wife and didn't do sufficient penance. Right. Right, I know. Well, I'm trying to be vague and unrealistic. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they don't dress the right way for church. (laughs) Maybe they didn't show up to every single event every time the doors were open. Maybe they didn't take off work for Bible study. Maybe they didn't show up for a volunteer work day. Maybe they sang too loud in the choir. Maybe they disagreed with the pastor. Maybe they damaged the walls with their graduation party invitations. It makes perfect sense. If you know what happened to Bridget here last year. There, I got real specific. (laughs) They didn't wear a mask. They didn't get the vaccine. Or they did. And as a result of their nonconformity, we don't associate with them and you shouldn't either. That's what Paul's describing. Look, You people used to care for me. You used to love me. We used to have a relationship, and now we don't anymore, and I haven't done anything different. I haven't changed, and you haven't told me what the problem is, so what's going on? Well, what's going on is a bunch of the people in the churches in Galatia had been seduced away from relationship with God, and the fact that they're not in relationship with God is always reflected in their relationships with God's people. That's what it looks like when somebody steers or veers into legalism. Oh, but you, you always say nice things about the pastor's wife. You always dress the right way. You always show up and volunteer. You always sing at just the right volume. You always support the pastor and the teachers. You never accidentally chip the paint. You're wonderful. Come on into the inner circle. We're just not sure they take their Christianity seriously. Now, are you free to be in relationship with that person who dressed wrong, chipped the paint, and disagrees with the pastor? Well, if you're in a healthy congregation, the answer is yes, you're free to do those things. Paul is making a brilliant point about human psychology. The reason that these legalists destroy relationships between Christians is that they themselves don't have a healthy relationship with Christ. Amen. Amen. That's what's going on. Rather than be in relationship, they're enslaved to the weak and beggarly or elementary principles of the world. Thus, they cannot tolerate anyone else being free. That threatens them somehow. If you want to see someone who's in bondage, look for the person who's trying to enslave everybody else. And what do they need? Well, they should be shunned. No. No, they need the gospel. They need to be loved and prayed for and cared for. Probably need a hug. Verse 19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Well, I have the benefit of being present with you all. I have the pleasure of seeing Christ formed in you all. And thanks be to God, we can take this epistle as a dire warning, right? because we're starting things off the right way here. We're gonna do the best we can, not to veer into license or veer into legalism because individually, we're gonna stay in right relationship with God. Amen. My coworker, a man by the name of Oscar, um, said something hilarious to the rest of the team a couple of weeks ago, because I made uh, you know, one of countless mistakes that I've made since I moved to this new position back in March. And uh, somebody, like what we do at work in this department is just, I mean, it's ridiculous. It, the criticism is way over the top. If you screw up, everybody's going to know about it. And we're not going to stop talking about it for a month. It's just the way they operate, which is fine with me. I find it hilarious. Um, but that was happening uh, to me. And Oscar, by Luke. Congratulations, man in an effort to be supportive, more cards, sweet. In an effort to be supportive said, and I quote, we either succeed individually or we fail as a team. And what he was trying to communicate was, you guys better ease up on dogging him because if you don't encourage him to succeed, His failures are going to be reflected in you. What he inadvertently communicated was, my failure was a reflection on the whole team, right? Everybody got a good laugh on that, and it's become kind of a slogan there. We can take this epistle as a dire warning, and I think if we are in relationship with God individually, we will succeed as a congregation, Our little church will begin to have an impact as a result of us being in genuine communion with God. And then we can watch it be reflected in our relationships with one another. I have a real walk with Jesus. You have a real walk with Jesus. We have a real walk together with Jesus. Right? Then what we'll begin to see happen is this little town will start to be impacted by us having our relationship with Jesus in community. And then I think what will happen is we'll paint a beautiful mural of the majesty and the glory of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. Said differently, here's what I think will happen if each of us will stay in relationship with God. First, I think we'll find ourselves drawing to Jesus. Second, I think we'll find ourselves developing in a real community here. And third, I think we'll find ourselves deploying to the culture, whether it's in Springfield or downtown Omaha or on base. And as a result of that, what we will see happen is a display of the glory of God being put on in Omaha, Nebraska, because this peeny weeny little church in Springfield is just trying to love Jesus together. That's the goal. That's what Paul's going for. And with that, I have to be done because we got graduation and business meetings and all kinds of stuff to get to. So let me pray.